0: Our God indeed hears us, and He is the God of the impossible. I love when Mary wondered at the virgin birth. The response to her was, for with God, nothing is impossible, and He's still our great God. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. There are many, many strange things that we observe in this world. There are many, many things we do not understand. And then, when we open our Bibles, we are told things that to our natural mind are even stranger. Last week, we were looking here at the admonition of Peter to think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Last week, we surveyed some of the New Testament and saw the persecution that the church experienced in spite of the fact that God had told them that all power would be given to them when the Holy Spirit came upon them. We observed all through that in the midst of such persecutions and trials, there was rejoicing, as Peter went on to describe here in verse 13. And last week, we didn't have time to continue on the narrative. Have you ever wondered what happened to peter what happened to peter well this letter here that he wrote approximately 8065 is really the last we hear from peter the bible doesn't tell us what happened to peter but we learn from tradition recorded in history that Peter saw his last days in Rome. The Romans had a unique form of execution. You've heard of it, crucifixion. And the tradition comes down to us that the apostle Peter, the man that the Holy Spirit inspired to write us these words, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, Was sentenced to death, not for any crime he had committed, but because he was a Christian. And he was sentenced to death by crucifixion, the same way Jesus was killed. It is passed down to us that when the time of crucifixion came, He petitioned the executioners that they not crucify him in the same way that his Lord was crucified. And so, in both mocking and to appease him, they crucified him upside down on that cross outside of Rome. Peter experienced fiery trials. Beginning from that first arrest and imprisonment, in Jerusalem, to the beatings he experienced in Jerusalem, to again the imprisonment and threat of execution, and eventually his death in Rome. In all of this, this is the man whom God inspired to write to us the letter of First Peter. Look with me at these words again. First Peter chapter 4 in verse 12. He writes, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil speaking of. But on your part, he is glorified. Gracious God, we give thanks to you for your word. And as you have revealed to us these things, it helps us truly to understand historical accounts and even modern news of the experiences of Christians all around the world and throughout the ages, who have endured fiery trials and yet have faced it with joy. Lord, we read that it's because your glory is revealed in them. And so, Lord, as we here today are a people who live in relative peace, may we take heed, and may we in our hearts prepare our hearts or whatever you may fa- we may face and you lead us into, may we have faith, faith in you. Be with me now as I share your word and consider th- events from history and illustrating it. Help us, Father, and encourage us. Challenge us, I pray in your name. Amen. What I'd like to do this morning is to recap what we talked about last week, but then to share with you Share with you some things from history, not just biblical history, but as it continues down through the age of the church and even to our modern times. You know, we have seminaries, and in our seminaries, we learn doctrine, we learn about the triunity of God, we learn about the inspiration of Scripture, we learn about eschatology. The last things. We learn about ecclesiology, how God ordered and structured the church. We learn all kinds of things in theology proper. But there's one interesting course that in some parts of the world is found in seminaries that um, I don't think I have ever seen in a school catalog I have ever looked at. But I have heard that in different Bible schools around the world, they offer courses in martyrdom. Now, I'm not talking about what the Muslims do in the sense of training people to be suicide bombers. That's not the point. Not that kind. No, training believers and Christians what it means to be a witness and what the Bible teaches regarding suffering for the truth. Not in some kind of weird martyr aggression. When we speak of a Christian martyr, that's a like polar opposite, one who rather cheerfully endures suffering, torture and even death for the cause of Christ and the truth of his word. That's what a martyr is. And as we learned last week, that's what each one of us are called to do, to be martyrs. But you know, I wonder if there's certain things we've lost because of the comfort in which we live. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God warned the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, saying that you will come into a promised land, you will find houses built and vineyards planted, and you will experience relative peace. Don't become complacent. Don't be complacent. They did, and they found themselves complacent. And what's sad is, is that they did not heed the warnings of the Lord in waking up from their complacency, and instead they pursued wickedness. That threat, spiritually, is true even for the church today. For if we had to really, really decide whether or not we believed God and obey His Word or live a life of comfort and ease, which would we choose? Which would we choose? Would we truly serve God and hold forth His truth even at great personal cost and sacrifice? As Timothy Paul wrote to Timothy, and we talked last week, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's a story that comes from even just within the last hundred years of a Bible conference that was taking place in a European country. And as that Bible conference was taking place, there was a man who came into the room and just quietly sat down in the back. But his presence was recognized by all. He was one who had suffered for the cause of Christ. And everyone knew it. In fact, in that room, he was the only one who had suffered for the cause of Christ. And the speaker who was speaking that day stopped everything to greet him, to welcome him to the meeting. And as he continued on, he wrapped up what he was sharing and he asked him to come and to share a few words of greeting with that congregation. And that man who had suffered much physically for the cause of Christ came to the front and he simply quoted that verse from 2 Timothy. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer Persecution. And then he just appealed to the people and said, will you this morning ask God, what do I do with that verse? What do we do with that verse? That preacher, that's all he said. And he went back and sat in his open spot in the back of the auditorium. And it was quiet. And the people began to do just as he had asked them, and to quietly ask the Lord, what do I do with this verse? And that day began a little mini revival in that community as people realized that their faith was not to be superficial, but it was to be deep, and grounded deeply in not only the Word of God, but in an intimate relationship with their God. I remember once as a young man, my pastor was preaching, and he asked this question. If you were on trial as a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? If witnesses were brought forth from your workplace, from your neighborhood, would they be able to stand in the witness box and give evidence that you are a Christian? I hope so I hope so recently I was needing to do a reference on an individual connected with um, the public school here in the area and um, I did a little bit of investigation and you know we have this thing called the internet these days and people put all their personal details out there on the internet And um, it was rather interesting because the question at play was is this individual a Christian? And oh, it was so nice to, within just a very few moments, be able to identify not just flowery, feel good Christian sayings on public Facebook pages, but consistent spirit and words of truth posted on social media. Now, some of you are not on social media because you wouldn't like people like me doing that to you. Good for you. But at the same time, regardless of your social media account, in every aspect and walk of your life and in every contact that you have, do people see you and know you as a witness? Are you the person they think of when they think of Jesus, when they think of what a Christian is? And if on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? We are martyrs. Jesus commanded us to be martyrs. That doesn't mean we got this what I call martyr complex, always looking for trouble, always looking for somebody to pick on me, you know, because that can happen too. In fact, it's interesting as it continues on. And always looking for, oh, woe is me. No, 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 no. Are we living a life that is godly, meaning a life that pleases God? And are we proclaiming both in our actions and in our words the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? That's what a martyr is. That's what a martyr is. And all in different parts of the world where they do suffer for their faith, there are classes that they teach and sermons and series that they preach on what it means to be a martyr. And much of those involve all different kinds of details of just simple aspects of this here, but of what we've seen here in First Peter, but it has a lot to do with how we live our lives consistently. It has a lot to do with in whom do we put our faith. It has a lot to do with our perspective of heaven. It has a lot to do with our perspective of life. So much it has to do. And I think it would be wise for us to pay more attention to the Scriptures lest the day come when we, as an American church, are called to endure persecution, intense persecution. Although very elementary, years ago, I found this this little book. It's actually a school curriculum for high schoolers, and it is titled Martyrdom, The Final Triumph of Faith. It's published by Bob Jones University Press in their curriculum for high school students written by Scott Anderson and Daniel Culver. It's actually a little tiny book. It's even got illustrations in it. And it actually is really good. And um, I've had a copy for many years and found it very helpful. And just last week, I saw somebody donated it in the giveaway room downstairs for somebody to pick up, and guess who picked it up? Timely. But guess what? I then turned around and donated it to the library, and it's got a church library card in it. So I'm going to put this back there, but also you know check it out for a week or two weeks. Make sure to bring it back so others can check it out. I think this would be wise for us as a church to consider this and to take time personally to think through what does it mean to be a martyr? It does a good job of giving some basic overview and summary of what that means. You can also purchase the book um, from different sources I found online. But do we know what it means? Let me ask another question for us. We have a lot of parents Moms and dads, we got lots of little people in this church, don't we? Precious little people. What would happen if you were snatched out of this world or out of your home, either by death or imprisonment or something else, and others took over the training and raising of your children? Would they stand? Would they stand? Would they endure the pressure, the threats, the attacks on the Scripture? And what can you and I do as moms and dads to prepare them for such a time? Some of you may know the story of Georgie e. Vins. Years ago, we shared this. Georgie e. Vins was a pastor in Soviet, the Soviet Union, who was greatly persecuted and repeatedly imprisoned because he was a Baptist pastor in the Soviet Union. Taken from his home, spent months in hiding, hiding with his family, hiding apart from his family, and many years in prison. I've shared a story before. He was eventually exchanged and negotiated by the United States government for a Soviet spy. He got traded for a spy. Shows how valuable he was. Um, but yet, he is one who became a voice of the persecuted church in Soviet Russia. And you know, we, we hear his story, we know his story. Great book that he wrote, The Gospel in Bonds. Inspiring. Do you know he had a daughter? A young girl. And in the midst of his imprisonments, guess who were her best friends? Atheists, and not just atheist is some derogatory term to assign to someone, atheists who were determined and actually hired by the KGB to indoctrinate her in the ways of communism. In her school, she faced not only, those mean ones who would ridicule her faith, who would ridicule her father, who would just be mean to her, those were the easy ones for her to deal with. The ones that were hard were those who became her friends. Not the atheists who mocked her or teased her or even picked on her but the actual hired ones who came alongside to be her friend. I wonder, how would our children endure such an environment? Would they stand strong? We as parents need to be working very hard to by example and by doctrine to prepare our children to face a world that does not believe the Bible and does not believe God. Now, young people, all you children, no matter how old you may be, do you know your God? Do you have faith in God? Is your religion, is your Christianity just your dad's Christianity or your parents' or is it yours? if your very life was threatened, your comfort was threatened, would you stand true? I encourage you this morning, genuine and true faith does stand true. Now that doesn't mean that there's not those who have fallen under pressure. But that's because they've wavered in unbelief. I think it's foolish for us to go forth boasting of our faith, of our strength. If I were persecuted, I would do this, and I would do this. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a massive um, prominency of, of the subject of martyrdom and persecution in the United States and a fascination with it. And a song came out, and it was big about this I will, I will, I will. And it's really more so about Do you know Jesus? I'm not asking you to build up this strength or this resilience or telling you that that's where, you know, you prepare yourself as if a soldier were going into war in some kind of a physical battle. No, this is about really knowing Jesus. That's how you'll stand strong. It's about having faith in Him right now in the convenience of life, in the comfort of life, and the difficulties there is where it lies. Whatever may come in the future, I don't know what it would be. I don't pray for persecution. I don't. I told you last week there's some in certain parts of the world who have prayed for persecution to come to America to refine her churches. That sounds pious, but I don't think it's biblical because the Bible says pray for the kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life. But yet are we really ready for the fiery trial that is to try us? Sometimes we hardly can survive missing lunch without getting angry. We call it hangry. Oh, would we be able to endure the suffering for truth? I'll tell you, One way that has motivated and encouraged me and has been a great encouragement to saints throughout history has been to consider the lives of other martyrs. There comes a story of a man in England who had heard of intense persecution in one part of the land. This is in the 1500s. And he traveled particularly to this town where persecution was particularly severe and where Christians had actually been gathered up throughout England and brought to this place and executed. And he had seen some of the agents of the state church in his community, and he knew that the threat was coming to his community. And he told his wife, I need to go. I believe the city was Stanfield or Smithfield. I need to go to Smithfield. I need to go to Smithfield. And he told his wife to learn the way. He went to Smithfield, and there he witnessed courageous men and women stand for truth and for the gospel in the face of death and through death. He came back home to his wife, and he told his wife, On the first day, I couldn't believe what I saw. I couldn't believe the horror of it all. And I couldn't believe how they endured. Then I started listening to them. And I'd hear them speak as they were being led to the stake. I'd hear them sing. I'd hear them give praise. And I realized that they were walking and living already in heaven. They were walking and living already in heaven. And he began to lead his wife and his children daily, daily to walk and live already in heaven. You know, that's biblical. Ephesians speaks of us as Christians right now in this ugly, dirty world as seated in heavenly places. Do we live as if we are in heavenly places because if we do when we are come to the point of needing to be tested as to what we really believe if we are already living in heavenly places we need not fear what any man may do to us for even as peter wrote previously in this very book who is he that will harm you is the question when all principalities, all powers, all authorities have been made subject to the one who was crucified, himself martyred, buried, risen, and ascended, and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Everything subject to him. And so if we are seated in Christ, with Christ in heavenly places, then we need not fear what man shall do to us. And so... Today, in our comfort and our ease, (laughs) in what we think is security, in what we think is wealth, are we really living in heavenly places? Or are we really in the midst of comfort and wealth, naked and destitute? Because I'll tell you, there have been those who have suffered in the past who were physically naked and physically destitute but yet they were living as if they were kings and queens in the glory of heaven. Are we walking in heavenly places? I think of that man who went to Smithfield and he came home with that perspective, that aspect of life. You know what happened within 12 months to that man? And every member of his family, they were led that path at Smithfield to the stake, and every one of them were burned to death. He had gone to Smithfield to learn the way. And what did he learn? That we live already in heaven. Do we live already in heaven? Martyrology and the history of martyrs is difficult. There's a lot of literature on it, a lot of literature. It was especially common in olden days in the midst of persecution. Part of the reason why is because people faced it and they found inspiration and motivation by reading the accounts of others who stood true and strong in the midst of persecution I'll be candid. Reading about Christian martyrs is painful. It's really hard. But I think it would behoove us, I think it would be good for us to have a little bit more of it in our reading diet. You have to be careful. You have to be discerning. You have to consider when you do read it. Probably not before bed. But do we understand from history the way we can learn from them? And I think it would be wise for us too. Tilliam J. von Brandt, a, a prominent martyrologist from the Anabaptist tradition who lived in the 1500s, recorded and wrote a book of Anabaptist martyrs. And in his introduction, he wrote, True enough, we shall lead you into dark valleys, even into the valleys of death, where nothing will be seen but dry bones, skulls, and frightful skeletons of those who have been slain, those beheaded, those drowned, others strangled at the stake, some burnt, others broken on the wheel, many torn by wild beasts, half devoured and put to death in manifold Cruel ways. However, there is something in these accounts that inspires the Christian reader, motivates the Christian reader, and how we ought to live. You ever heard of the Pilgrims? You know, Thanksgiving, the Pilgrims? Do you know that when they came across in the Mayflower, it said they had three books? You think you can guess the first one? The Bible. You know what the second was? John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegorical account of the Christian life. I'm curious, how many of you have a copy of Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, good. And the third book, what do you think it was? Any of you know? What was it? Fox's Book of Martyrs. They had an edition of, of John Fox's Book of Martyrs By the way, if you go out and look for John Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll find all kinds of editions. I actually have three right here. Um, What's interesting, though, about it is that you you won't find actually an original. Um, His original edition was eight volumes long. If you do find an original, you won't be able to afford it. Um, His original edition was eight volumes long, and some of the reason why it's so long, and this is actually an interesting part of it, is that he had a philosophy at that time not only of just recording of their deaths and lives, but of what they stood for, which is kind of interesting and kind of tragic in some of the more modern editions, particularly in that just because you're reading someone and they're declared as a Christian martyr, be careful with martyrology literature because sometimes people are presented as Christians or as martyrs or Christian martyrs and as not always necessarily born-again believers. And so you want to be careful. You also want to be careful because you may read of people of different persuasions theologically, um, sometimes in in, uh, in a way in which it's it's heresy, and in other ways when it's just different. And so you want to be aware of that as you read, and there's a point of respect for those where it's just a little different, but then there's also a point of don't be led astray by when it's heresy. And so you have to, you have, to have to have discernment, but... I encourage you, if you don't have a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs, get a copy. Have it in your home. And take time occasionally to read it. I'll give you a heads up. See, I have three editions. I've never read these three cover to cover. You can't. Maybe you can I can't. It's hard. But it's also an aspect where the little bit here and there, throughout, especially, let me tell you, this may shock you, but one of the most incredible times to read these accounts are those moments when you think your life is terrible. (laughs) One of the reasons is because it ain't terrible compared. (laughs) And reading it gives you a perspective not only of comparison your earthly life, but also gives you that same perspective that that man had, I believe his name is Mr. Rogers, going to Smithfield, of seeing the examples of these, of where they put their focus. And when you were in the midst of a trial and difficulty, when you keep seeing and walking by sight, to then read of those who truly had horrors, much worse than your own, were walking by faith in heavenly places. It's that reminder. Let's walk in. The heavenly places where christ jesus is at and there's lots of books john fox's book of martyrs is a basic standard reference written very much so from the perspective of the protestant and reformed people whereas there's another book titled uh, by Tilian j von Braun, written about the same time which focuses on the anabaptists and um, also a very good resource and a little bit more exhaustive because it's still preserved it as an original and um, he also goes into small text big pages um, their doctrine and it can be it can be helpful and there are scores and scores and scores and scores of other books of things throughout history and there's so much there and i'm not telling you to go focus on reading about martyrs. But I encourage you to give it some time in your reading literature, but not to the neglect of your relationship with God. And as you do, I pray that each one of us, in anticipating what is yet to come in life, we walk by faith and not by sight. Take your Bibles again with me. And turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus says this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake... The same shall bind it. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. A crown of life is promised to those who love him especially referred to those enduring temptation and trial. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. In in studying the concept of numbers in the New Testament, 10 is a number of testing, trial, not necessarily literally 10 days here, but a testing time shall have tribulation, 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death, Jesus says, and I will give you a crown of life. A crown of life. We go through life, and we struggle, and we dif- have difficulties. I'm reminded of an account that comes in recent modern history from Sudan. Sudan is a nation where Christians are severely persecuted. It's, it's since, since the division, it's gotten better, but it's been rough. There's a story of a man who was watching out his window one day, and he saw a crowd of people coming down the street toward his house, and they were singing. They were dancing. They were skipping down the street. It was a celebration. He was curious. He didn't know of any holiday there in Sudan. He didn't know of any reason why these people would be prancing down the street, singing, cheering. So he kind of went out, went towards them. As he got closer to hear them, he figured out they were Christians because they were praising Jesus. They were singing praises to the Lord. And so he goes, oh, it must be a Christian holiday. But he couldn't think of what holiday it must be. He kept getting closer and they kept getting closer to him. And as they came closer, he could see their eyes. And he was perplexed. Here he could hear the most joyous sound he had ever heard. But he saw their eyes and they were streaming with tears. Tears were gushing forth from their eyes. He kept walking towards them. They kept dancing towards him. Then he saw a stretcher. And he saw them carrying a lump of something on it. And as they came closer, the singing was still just as joyful and beautiful The tears continued to stream, and he saw on that stretcher the mutilated body of a Christian man. He didn't understand it. He followed them. They continued singing, they continued leaping and skipping for joy. They dug the grave with an intensity of as if they were having a party. Then they buried this man. He watched it all, confused. He knew some of the people there. And he went home hearing them sing, and it continued until they were out of earshot. And the next morning he was determined he was going to go talk to those Christians. He wanted to know what was going on. And he found one of those Christians. He told him what he had seen the day before. And he asked him, why were you celebrating? Why were you celebrating? He could see the injustice of it. He found that this man had been murdered and tortured for no other reason other than the fact that he had converted to Christianity and he had renounced his former religion and trusted in Jesus. And when challenged and told he had to return to the family faith and family religion, he said he couldn't. And they tortured him for five days and finally killed him. And all of the church was celebrating. Celebrating. He's like, why? You know what their answer was? Because he's delivered from this world. He was already living in heavenly places. Even though he had only been a Christian, For three days, for three days, he, faithful unto death, received a crown of life. And that's what that Christian went on to share with this man. He's not dead, he just got crowned. They took it literally, straight as it says. He endured the temptation, not 10 days, five days, and received a crown of life. And so this, may it cause us, as John Bunyan said of faithful, the man faithful in his allegory, play the man, speak for thy God, Fear not the wicked's malice nor their rod. Speak boldly, man. The truth is on thy side. Die for it. And to life and triumph, ride. Lord Jesus, you are the author and finisher of our faith, and it is to you we look this day. Lord Jesus, we are so tempted to turn our gaze from you and to behold the things around us, knock on the doors of our hearts. As you have said in Revelation, you long for those who are your children to come in and to sup with us and to have fellowship. Lord Jesus, may that be true for each of us every single day, regardless of persecution. Regardless of peace, regardless of ease, regardless of our health, may daily and moment by moment we abide in you and you and us and your words in us that the Father might be glorified. May your glory rest upon us, regardless of what we may be experiencing in this day or in this week. Lead us, go before us. We need you day by day. And may that not just be a trite cry. But from the sincerity of our hearts lord we need you father we think of many around the world right now who are suffering who are in bonds because They are Christians. Some we may know their names. Some we may not know in any way. But Lord, you know who they are. And we pray that you might uphold them in this very moment. We know that you will. And so by faith, we ask you to do just that. And we pray for the governments and the others who oppress regardless of their power or authority. May they see the evil of what they do. And Lord, may they repent. May they see the witness and the testimony of those whom they persecute. And may they hear your good news. And may they put their faith in you and just as we saw miraculously take place with Saul of Tarshish. May the same be true with those who persecute and kick against the pricks right now. May they know you and trust you. And may they then be faithful witnesses unto the end just as Saul of Tarshish was. And may your glory rest upon them. Father, we praise you and we worship you because in spite of all that we see, we know that you are God of all. You reign supreme and sovereign. We can hope in you knowing that in everything we face and everything that is going on around us, you decree and you sovereignly abide over it all. May we day by day, understanding that truth, simply trust and obey. May we have faith in you and in your promises, for you have spoken, and we know it to be true. And so we bow before you and worship you in this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.